Good evening. Can everybody hear me all right? That's what I like to hear. Uh, I just want to say thank you uh, for Mount Juliet, the elders, and Philip for having me. Um, I'm really excited about tonight, and I'm excited that I get this opportunity. Thanks to my family who showed up um, all the way from Gallatin. I know, far drive, right? But not too far. Um, so they came. So this is the first time, actually, you guys got to hear me preach, so that's nice. Um, before we get started, I want to ask you one simple question. Have you ever been wrecked with love? You might say, Tucker, wait, what's that mean? Well, let me explain it. Have you ever maybe played a sport or played music or listened to music that was a certain genre or uh, maybe you're a knitter or a quilter or an underwater basket weaver? I'm not sure what that thing is for you, but have you ever done something so much and so well that by association it defined you? That when somebody says, hey, whatever your name is, and they associate that one single thing with you. Tonight, when I was thinking about this lesson, I was thinking about um, the story we're talking about tonight from John chapter 4. I couldn't help but think of one example. And uh, The last two summers, I've worked as a summer intern. Uh, two summers ago, I worked at the Great Oaks Church of Christ, and that's where Colton Shannon now is. Uh, and last summer, I worked at the Maryville Church of Christ, where Andy Frizzell, who's an intern here now is. So I kind of have some Mount Juliet blood in me from somewhere. But last summer... I was sitting down at a dinner table with my friend Hannah Allen. She was my co-intern. And I remember sitting at her dinner table with her parents. And, and I'm weird, and if you know me, you'll get to know that I am quite weird. So I look at um, Jan, and I look at um, Mr. Lee, and I ask him a simple question. I said, what's your story? Can you go ahead and hit the next slide? Thanks. Um, so I said, guys, what's your story? What, is, what brought you together? Tell me this. And little did I know that they're about to tell me one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. So this, pack, this past week as I was preparing for this lesson, uh, I sent Miss Jan a Facebook message. And I said, hey, can you just retell me that story so I can kind of copy and paste it and kind of read it to everybody? She said, yeah, sure. So here's what she wrote. Um, here's what she said. So one Wednesday night at the church in Maryville, Lee and a friend stopped by to visit friends they knew that had moved to Maryville. I noticed that he was a visitor, and a cute one at that. So I decided to be friendly and introduce myself. We talked a little, and he, and he uh, mentioned that he, was, he and his running buddy were on their way to Washington to run in the Marine Corps Marathon. When he went home to stay overnight at his friends, um, he was visiting. He got out of the church directory. Uh, do we still have those? I think we still have those. He got out of the church directory, and he found my picture along with my phone number and my address. He called me when he was done with the race and he wanted to know if we could get, to, get together on his way back as he went home. So I was working a 12-hour shift that night at the UC hospital and it's the only day we had to get together. So he picked me up early, 7.30 in fact, and we headed to the Smoky Mountains. All day he wanted to take my picture and he, and he even got some people to take some pictures of us too. They thought we were honeymooners. Uh, we hiked up to Laurel Falls, which is absolutely beautiful, and we took more pictures together. Uh, this is one of them, by the way. Um, that's where I got my first kiss on my first date from a guy who looks and reminded me of Superman. So that's what I started calling him, and he, she still does to this day. It's kind of funny. Um, she said, I knew that we were on our first date, that this was who God intended for me to marry. So who, he went back to Mississippi, and he was working um, on a master's, accounting, a master's degree in accounting at MSU. We met at my aunt's in Camden, Tennessee at Thanksgiving. We were engaged by the end of November after meeting for the first time five weeks prior. It was a God thing. He moved to Maryville and started looking for a job in January and was hired at TVA in May before we were married on July 23rd, 1983. So we dated for a total of five weeks, were engaged, and were married eight months later. A total time of nine months from the first time they ever laid eyes on each other on a Wednesday night to the time they said, I do. Whoa. 
It's, it's crazy to me, and it's incredible for me to think about, but when I sat down and I started looking at this lesson, I said, okay, what's a story of somebody being wrecked with love, like in John chapter 4? And I couldn't help but think of this story, because when Jan met Lee, she was never the same again. And if you're familiar, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to John chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen tonight, or maybe you can use a pew Bible in front of you, but... Uh, the story about the woman at the well is an incredible story. It's one of my favorites, in fact, and, and I love it because I look at the Samaritan woman and I look at Jesus, and Jesus really shouldn't have been where he was, and he, and he was kind of out of place. He shouldn't have been talking to this woman anyway, but he, he shows her something that Ralph Gilmore said it the other night, and I couldn't help but say it tonight. He shows her reckless compassion. And that's what makes this story so incredible. Let's dig into God's Word tonight. John chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Our first point tonight, I want you to see, is the fact that Jesus goes where no one else is willing to go. It says he had to pass through Samaria. If I had a month to stand up here and talk to you, and I know you get tired of me by then, but if I had a month to stand up here and talk to you, I could not adequately describe to you the racial, the religious, and the political tension that's going on here between Jews and Samaritans. If you were a Jewish man or a Jewish woman during this time, there's no one you hated more, except for maybe a tax collector, than a Samaritan. And if you're a Samaritan man or a woman during this time, there's no one you hated more than a, uh, than a Jew. Here's what I want you to see. If you can see this map, it's really cool. On the bottom, um, I can't read it back there, but on the bottom you have Judea and on the top you have Galilee. So what most Jews would do, so Samaria is right there in the middle, so what you would do if you were a Jew, because you really hated Samaritans, you would take the long way around just to avoid the Samaritans. But that's not what Jesus does. It says Jesus has to go through Samaria I don't believe he has to go through Samaria because that road was closed, or he has to go through Samaria because that's his only option. I believe that Jesus goes through Samaria because he knows there's someone in Samaria who needs him. Jesus goes where no one else is willing to go. Flip back to uh, chapter 4 and verse 5. It reads, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I love this because in one moment, Jesus not only goes where no one else is willing to go, he shows up in a town that no one else is willing to go to. He sits down with a woman who he really shouldn't be talking to. And in one moment, Jesus shatters his reputation for her needs. As I was reading this, this chapter and, and I was thinking about us, I couldn't think but say, how are we so much not like Jesus right now? I feel like time after time after time, we spend all this time building up this reputation for ourselves at the expense of everything else. We refuse to sometimes to be uh, with the people that need us most just because we want to protect our reputation. But that's not what Jesus does here. Jesus in one moment shatters his reputation for this woman's needs. You know, if a Jewish man or a Jewish woman absolutely had to go back through Samaria uh, around, you know, as we talked about, they had to go around. 
that had to go straight through Samaria. There we go. They had to go straight through Samaria. They bring their own cups, their own bowls, their own plates because they found it so vile and so disgusting to even eat off of anything that the Samaritans owned. You know, if you were a Jewish man or a Jewish woman and you had to pass through Samaria, when you would pass through and you would get into Galilee, you'd have to, it'd be like going from Tennessee to Kentucky. You'd have to ceremonially cleanse yourself and strip your clothes off and, and be washed. It's true. It's true. So you have to be washed because they didn't even want the dirt of Samaria to enter their town. And Jesus shows up in the middle of Samaria at a well at noon when, and this woman's there and really she shouldn't be there at noon because all the other women came in the morning to get their water when it was nice and cool. But she's at the well at noon because she's so dejected. She's at the lowest part of the totem pole and Jesus is there for her. Keep watching how the story unfolds. Pick back up in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not, have to, or I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. The second point I want to make tonight, the first point being that Jesus goes where no one else is willing to go, Second point I want to make, though, is Jesus understands in ways that no one else can possibly understand. I love what Jesus does here because it's what he does in, in our lives every day. He uses our physical predicaments and our physical circumstances to help us cope with our spiritual realities. Have you ever had a physical circumstance in which everything just absolutely fell apart? You know, that job fired you, that marriage didn't work out, maybe you didn't get the right grade on the ACT, I'm not sure what it is, but... Whatever it was, have you ever had a physical circumstance in which something just it felt like the rug was ripped out from under you? There are moments in which your physical conditions and your physical circumstances are ripped out from under you. And we begin to think about spiritual realities in ways that we never have before. We become desperate. We find ourselves needing God like never before. You know, I feel like Jesus looks at this woman who walks to this well every day to do the same thing over and over and over again. Yet she leaves unsatisfied. Jesus asked a question to kind of get the wheels turning. He says, what if I could give you water so you wouldn't have to come here anymore? What if I could give you water that could satisfy you? She says, sir, if, you, if you've got this, I want it. Pick back up in verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and tell him to come here. And the woman said... I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right. Let's just actually stop there. You're right in saying I have no husband. Here we go. This is so incredible because I feel like Jesus gives this woman an opportunity and her dignity to share her story, but she does what so many of us do. She confesses partially. I don't know if you're like me, but I find myself, when I confess my sins to the Lord or to my friends, I confess just enough to kind of alleviate some of the pressure. I think, man, if I tell them everything, they won't love me anymore. They're not going to accept me anymore if I tell them everything I'm struggling with, everything that's going on. 
So what I, I shared just enough so that I don't feel as bad anymore. Almost every one of us, though, has these things in our lives that are completely off limits, though. You know, you don't want your family to know, your spouse to know, your friends to know, the preacher to know. You don't even want God to know. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, that we have to realize God knows. There will never be a circumstance in which you tell something to Jesus and he's surprised. He gives this woman a moment in her dignity. He says, hey, you want something more. You want to be satisfied. Go get your husband and bring him back. And she hears it, and she just starts to confess, but she confesses partially. Pick back up in 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Jesus does in one conversation what we can't get done in six months of time. Most of us beat around the bush when it comes to having these hard conversations with our friends or our coworkers or, or the people in this building. And I think the case is we don't truly love those people. We say we do, but if we did, I think we would have conversations like this a little more often. You know, we see things in our friends' lives and in one another's lives that really shouldn't be going on. We don't have the courage to bring it up because we're scared that they're not going to like us anymore. They're not going to accept us anymore. But I love what Jesus does here because he looks at this woman and he says, you want life? Let's deal with this one area in your life you don't want anyone else knowing about. You're right. You've had five husbands and the one you're living with now doesn't even love you enough to give you his last name and a wedding ring. The reality is that we can't be satisfied with Jesus alone until we realize how unsatisfying everything else is without him. And that's one of the biggest problems, I think, with the American church today. We are satisfied far too easily. Those are good songs this morning, Philip. David, pretty good lesson. Satisfied. A little less sin than last month. Satisfied. I read my Bible twice this week. Satisfied. I feel like Jesus looks at her and asks... How many husbands will it take? You know, I've never been married, much less had five spouses. But I really walked in this woman's shoes when I was thinking about this lesson and I was concentrating on this text. I said, how amazing and how incredible would it be if Jesus could look in the depths of my heart and say, Tucker, how can you keep going back to this five times, ten times, a hundred times? I don't know what your story is, but mine is I continue to go to wells that leave me wanting, and I continue to go over and over and over again. Jesus just looks and says, how many times will it take? Go ahead and skip down to verse 25. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I love, I love this image. If you've never seen Undercover Boss, it's, it's funny. It, let me preface it real quick. It's like the CEO of a company infiltrates like a White Castle and flips burgers for a week just to see what it's really like. And, and, I, and I, this is so funny to me when I read this, and hopefully this connects with you, that Jesus, uh, what we skipped, we skipped a little bit right there. We skipped a piece of um, kind of talking about worship, and, and she kind of tries to change the subject on Jesus, and she says, okay, well, should we worship like this? Should we worship here? And, and it's not about that is what he gets down to. And she says, you know, I know that the Messiah is coming, and you've told me a lot, but he's going to reveal all things. And, and I love to, like, picture this scene because <laughs> it's almost like an end of Undercover Boss when Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. You're looking at him. 
And, and we get this. <laughs> it's so funny to me. And it's so evident that this woman, I think that's where the transformation comes from in this woman's life. Pick back up verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that, what he, that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. If you have a pen and you feel like underlining that, underline that phrase, she left her water jar. She went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Leaving her water jar. She had come there for something. She met Jesus and she was finally satisfied. This is so incredible to me because in her moment of greatest guilt, in her moment of greatest shame, the very thing that had just kicked her out of the community after she met Jesus was the exact very same thing that propelled her back in the community to share the gospel. That's what's so interesting and so great about Jesus. We're all trying to hide these things in our lives that we don't want anyone else to know about. But when Jesus really and truly and honestly gets a hold of us, those are the exact same things that by the power of Jesus send us back into this town, into our homes, into our jobs to spread the gospel. So this woman who's been walking alone every day in her guilt and in her shame, she goes back into the town and says, Hey guys, remember me? You mocked me, you ridiculed me, you made fun of me. You made me come at noon because I felt so rejected from you. I felt so separated. Well, guess what? I met this guy. He's the Messiah. He is Jesus. He changed my life. He can change yours. Third point I want to make tonight, brothers and sisters, is the fact that Jesus can transform you like no one else can. When Jesus gets a hold of us and comes into the picture, our moments of greatest shame become our moments of deepest testimony to the power of God and to the power of the gospel. Pick back up in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they, um, they asked him to stay with them and stay there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believed. Or it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. What happens when Jesus Christ wrecks a person with his love? They become people who go back into the village to bring hope. Jesus goes where no one else is willing to go. Jesus Christ transforms like no one else can transform. Jesus Christ goes to places that really he shouldn't go to. Jesus Christ understands in ways that no one else can understand. I'm here to tell you tonight that you are good enough. I love this story because it's a story of a broken person who's transformed by the power of the gospel and by the power of Jesus Christ. She goes back into her town and tells everybody about Jesus changing the town. I love that the Lord uses this woman's scandalousness to introduce Jesus to the community. I'm here to tell you tonight that 
It doesn't matter what Satan has you shackled to. It doesn't matter what you struggle with. It doesn't matter where you've been. It only matters where you're going. I'm here to tell you tonight that it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian your entire life and you've faltered. You're still good enough. Maybe you haven't met Jesus. You can still be good enough. Maybe tonight you find yourself needing Jesus Christ. I'm telling you tonight that he's the only answer. He's the only person in your life that can transform you. He's the only person that can satisfy you. He's the only person that can really give you answers. Maybe tonight you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe tonight you need to finally meet Jesus for the first time. I'm not sure what it is, but if we can help you in any way at all, please come forward as we stand and as we